The B-Rad Podcast is brought to you by MoFo, male optimization formula with organs to boost testosterone. Brad's macadamia masterpiece, mind-blowing nut butter blend, chili pad, temperature-controlled mattress systems, inside tracker, blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data all in one, and new optimal three nootropic supplements designed to improve focus, memory, and drive. And check out the bradkerns.com shop page, my personal selection of favorite products with great discounts for health, fitness, and peak performance. It's just about time. I'm going for an hour and a half run or a two-hour run. It's never about how far. It's just about running. We were made to run long and comfortably and sprint once in a while. The fact is most people breathe way too much and this alters the natural levels of gases in the blood. It reduces oxygen delivery to our tissues, organs. Sometimes it can cause constriction of blood vessels. Let's talk about nootropics. These are supplements designed to improve cognitive function, memory, and creativity. And I'm taking three products from a company called New Optimal, N-U Optimal. The products are Metafocus, which promotes flow state and improves processing speed and mental clarity. It contains ingredients like phenylalanine, B12, ginkgo biloba. I'm taking Metamemory, which is good for memory retention, verbal fluency, reduced oxidative stress. Very important for the brain. This product has things like lion's mane, pine bark, and bacopa. And I'm taking Metadrive for motivation, stress resilience. It's got a little boost of caffeine in there, ashwagandha, rhodiola. They're wonderful products with a lot of scientific detail and easy to understand information on their website. So you get the big picture of what these products are all about, not just stuffing pills down your face, but how to do the stack as they call it strategically. You get a 16 page booklet that'll guide you to optimal use when you purchase. And guess what? 60 day money back guarantee and 30% discount from me. Listen, I'm not a coffee guy. I'm not a drug guy, but I'm always looking for any type of natural edge I can get, especially for cognition. So guess what? Let's avoid that sugary junk food. Let's get enough sleep. Take a power nap when you need one and consider trying some nootropics to see if you get a natural brain boost. So go visit newoptimal.com, N-U-O-P-T-I-M-A-L and enter the code BRAD30 to get 30% discount when you try it. Newoptimal.com for way more details. Hey, listeners, it's a pleasure to welcome back to the show health coach, endurance coach, endurance athlete extraordinaire from down under, it's Andre Obradovic. And we have a great show where we're walking through kind of a step-by-step process to become a healthy, fit endurance athlete and healthy, fit person in general. So we hit the favorite starting point that Andre uh, does with his clients, which is to uh, examine one's body composition. Usually that's the most prominent goal, especially for athletes, but for almost everyone around uh, can always uh, want to look and feel a little better dropping some excess body fat. And of course, until we address adverse dietary practices, the inclusion of processed food in the diet, 
the sports supplements that so many endurance athletes rely upon, we kind of have to take a few steps back before we even talk about approach to training and clean up the diet to give a fighting chance at becoming a fat burner, which of course is the gateway to uh, preserving your health as you pursue fitness goals and also to excelling in the endurance sports that are Andre's specialty. So once we deal with the body composition issue in the diet issue, and Andre has a nice description of uh, the the breakthrough, the recent science that's contending that this is a hormonal obesogenic model of body composition rather than the flawed and dated oversimplified calories in calories out model. So it's a matter of optimizing one's lifestyle in order to optimize one's appetite and food choices. And if you're a high stress training, high stress living, hectic pace person, uh, that's essentially a sugar burning lifestyle that's going to prompt you to uh, crave quick energy foods in the form of processed carbohydrate, uh, strongly associated with adverse training habits that are uh, revealed by many folks in the extreme endeavors such as CrossFit, such as endurance sports. So sleep is mentioned, and then we go into the the centerpiece of uh, a correct approach to endurance training, which is the uh, MAF heart rate approach, maximum aerobic function. So emphasizing aerobic development by uh, doing the vast majority of your workouts at a pace correlating with maximum fat oxidation and not too stressful, too difficult, where you get into the glucose burning heart rates. And then we spend a good chunk in the show on the exciting emerging topic of nasal breathing and how that applies not only to your workouts and improving your peak performance with with improved oxygen delivery to the working muscles and tissues, but also how it can help you manage stress and improve health in all areas of everyday life. So we talk about the popular books of the day, Breath by James Nestor, The Oxygen Advantage by Patrick McCune. Uh, we talk about Brian McKenzie's work, my former two-time podcast guest at shiftadapt.com. So you're going to get a great basic overview on the rationale and benefits for nasal breathing, explained very well by Andre. And then we finally end with the introduction of strength training and how to successfully balance that, especially if you have a tendency to emphasize endurance exercise. So it's a really nice, I called it a uh, a client consultation for everyone listening. Fun stuff from Andre Obradovic. Here we go. Andre, our main man from Australia, welcome back to the show. Thank you for uh, you know coming in on this time zone thing and getting bright and shiny and ready to throw down on some very compelling topics of this guy out here, people on the cutting edge of endurance performance coaching, wrapping it all up into that that life and health coaching that you you blend so nicely. So I thought we'd come back on the show. I know we've talked a lot, emailed offline about you know the, the latest hot topics. Um, geez, where to begin? How about one of your favorite um, subjects of uh, body composition and helping these athletes uh, deal with this incredibly frustrating problem, even for the athletic population? Yeah, uh, thanks, Brad. Great to chat and see you again. Yeah, I think, um, you know, first thing I, I do with anyone and I think people need to think about is body composition, of course, before exercise. And as we've spoken before, you know, a lot of coaches or the, the conventional fitness or what I call sickness industry 
you know, won't tell people what they need to hear. They'll tell them what they want to hear. And most people, maybe not some of your listeners, because most of them are pretty smart because they're listening to you and not what I call mainstream, the mainstream sickness industry, um, you know, they understand that if you're overweight, that you need to actually tackle that problem by firstly understanding why you've gotten overweight and generally it's because people have been following the wrong advice and that is bad food you know the standard american standard australian or standard western diet and the problem is the fitness industry doesn't tell people that because people the general population don't want to hear that and you know if you piss people off by saying hey hey dude don't come to my fitness class at 5.30 in the morning to be with all your bros and do high fives and get all that adrenaline happening because you're a FF and you know what that means, a fat boy, FB. You need to just sleep a bit more in the morning, go for an easy walk with the dog and not eat till 11 o'clock instead of killing yourself in the class and then going having pancakes and counting the calories. Well, no fitness trainer is going to tell people that because the people won't want to pay them money. So, I, you know, like you and I and people that we follow, we like to challenge people and tell people what they need to know, not what they want to know. So body composition always has to come first, in my opinion, um, and, and that's the key to fitness, the first key to fitness and longevity. Right. It would seem if you uh, had an athlete questionnaire prepared, uh, what would their top priority be? And even very serious people who've been in the game for a long time are still looking to uh, drop that that last, if it's five or 10, that's great. Maybe they're performers and they're just looking to optimize. But a lot of people are looking to drop 20 or 30 extra pounds of fat despite training for 20, 10, 15, 20 hours a week. And it occurs to me when you mentioned the, the, the corporate influences and the, in the culture, um, the sports nutrition industry, which, you know, we can sit here and, and slam all day long and talk about how there's stuff and sugar down the throats of people, but you kind of need those products. If you, uh, insist on immersing into uh, you know, an ill-advised program that's overly stressful. So I'm not going to criticize the energy sugar gel that I stick in my mouth at mile 60 of an 80-mile bike ride uh, at the culmination of a very uh, a stressful and challenging week, both on and off the the athletic training arena. Uh, but that's the th- that's the part that we might need to unwind, and that's why I like where you start with. Um, you know, the, the body composition could be considered a symptom of uh, a suboptimal training program as well as and, pr- and primarily a suboptimal diet. Yeah, and that's all based on the wrong advice. So what's the, what are the main wrong advices that are still floating out there? Well, I think number one is calories in, calories out, and Herman, Dr. Herman Pointzer would sort of say opposite, but, you know, you and I have talked about this, that I think as people get older, and, you know, we're both 56, so as we get older, the whole calorie in, calorie out model becomes even more flawed because people become insulin resistant, they can't tolerate the carbohydrates. So number one is if you're getting older and you're saying to yourself, my God, when I was 30, I used to be able to exercise my way out of a bad, shitty diet and I was lean. Now I'm trying to do the same thing and it's not working. Well, that's a message. Maybe 
your body can't cope with years of abuse. So you need to change the way you think. And it's not about calories. It's more about how's your body. It's the hormonal obesity model, not the thermo, thermogenic mm. obesity model. So that's sort of number one. Um, I think number two would be um, that sleep, if, and, and these are all things based on if you don't have optimal body composition. So that's the sort of underlying thing we're trying to fix. Number number two then would be you're probably better off getting a bit more sleep and waking up at 6 or 6.30 rather than 5.30 to go and kill yourself at the pool or the gym or go out running with a group because that's just going to give you more cortisol, give you more stress, make you more hungry and get you more inflamed, which is going to drive injury and drive your hunger. So that's another very hard pill for people to swallow. I've had a few clients that, or people that came to me that ended up not working with me because I said I wouldn't work with them unless they were prepared to change that. So I would throw money away because I have some clients of certain backgrounds who just didn't want to cope with that they're like well no I can't do that well you're not going to get body composition right if you're still if you're going to bed at 11 o'clock at night because you've got this big corporate job and you're waking up at 5 30 or 5 o'clock to go to the gym and kill yourself so that's that's number two um which once again people don't want to hear and then I think number three would be um would be the whole thing around uh math training so similar to, you know, things we've talked about before is that, you know, working at a comfortable effort and working comfortably to build our aerobic engine and our fat-burning machine is the way to achieve long-term health, long-term speed and longevity. And, and you know, then when you, and I know we are going to talk about that, when you combine that math training in all of your athletic pursuits with um, nasal breath work, and we can. I know we're going to talk more about that. You you really then can build a massive aerobic engine. And and you know, as an example, you know, just from my N one sort of experience, you know, I can run four thirty per kilometer pace, breathing through my nose for you know quite a while without even opening my mouth, and I can run for an hour and a half at five minute a k pace comfortably breathing through my nose even though I snot everywhere without even opening a mouth and and that means when we get into a race we can actually breathe through our mouth if we need to and we're not putting our body under as much stress in fact if people look at the olympic games um from tokyo there was a jamaican woman that came third in the final she's 35 years old a mother she's a lot older than all of the other girls and in her final of her heats, as she comes across the line, you, the camera's at the front, and you can see she her mouth is closed. Everyone else is <laughs> breathing through the uh, mouth. What event are you talking about? The 100-metre sprint. Yeah, it was, I think Shelley Ann Fraser-Price. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mouth, uh, mouth closed, nasal breathing. Yeah. Maybe one of the top three sprinters of all time in history with two Olympic gold medals a silver and a bronze, whatever her, her, um, her longevity or world titles, a stunning performance. And I noticed the same thing on the Olympic coverage, um, with some of the men's races too, when you had that head on camera, these guys in the hundred are, you know, maybe breathing and maybe not. It was, it was incredible. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so I know we're going to talk more about nasal breath work. So we, you know, that's sort of in line with that addition to math training. And and then I think um, the last one is appropriate strength training in the gym to build muscle because as we get older, we want to look after our bone density. We want to make sure we don't lose muscle. So they're sort of the top-line things that I sort of focus on and, and suggest to people. But most of them are all counterintuitive because, as you know, Brad, the last thing the last thing any triathlete wants to hear is, hey, dude, you know, if you're busy this week, drop a run or drop a swim and make sure you don't miss the gym session. In fact, if if they have a gym session in the program, you know, most don't because, you know, my experience is a lot of coaches give people what they want, which is swim, run and swim, run and ride and People don't want to work in the gym, so they don't give it to them. It's like a bad-tasting medicine. They don't want to give people cod liver oil because people don't like it, you know? Yeah. In my experience, I contend that I was too tired to step into the gym and do anything of significance because my total devotion to uh, the endurance workouts, and it was probably um, not a good idea for me to step in the gym during all those years when I was a triathlete, but it would have been a great idea to, you know, uh, reconsider some of the uh, devotion to uh, to endurance and and split up my my energy pie in the other available uh, slices. And speaking of those slices, uh, my sleep, which I, I say as much as I possibly can, um, you know, during that career that spanned for nine years when I was traveling the circuit, I slept routinely for ten hours a night and a two hour nap just about every afternoon. So I was literally asleep for mm. half of my life when I was a triathlete. And so if we are on this pie uh, analogy for a moment and you know my, my time available to train, let's say it was unlimited because that was my career and most people don't have that luxury. But um, if, if you're counseling someone with limited time and other responsibilities, I would, I would contend that you make a bigger pie slice for sleep uh, as a complete and direct uh, application to uh, performing better on the race course. And that's, I think, goes in your category of stuff people don't want to hear. Uh, but before we move on, I want to go back to that uh, quick um, string you told about the cortisol uh, as related to um, cutting back on sleep, uh, doing overly stressful workouts, and generally being out of stress-rest balance. How does that directly uh, affect your body composition? Well, you know, it leads to more insulin resistance. It leads to our body turning off fat burning because, it, you know, being stressed puts us in a sympathetic nervous state. So, you know, we have our autonomic nervous system, which has two sides, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic. When we're stressed, our body closes down functions that are critical for health and it focuses on critical functions for survival and those survival functions mean I need to be ready to fight so it closes down our ability to um, make babies so that's why a lot of women that are stressed and underweight find it hard to get pregnant that's maybe why guys have problems with getting things going downstairs when they're stressed um, it stops our ability to, to digest food it brings more sugar or more allows more glucose to come into our muscles and gets our liver working harder to uh, create more glucose available for the body to run and fight. And, and 
all of those things go totally against fat burning and fat burning is our relaxed state which helps us optimize our aerobic capacity so you know we have enough stress in our body from these fight or flight hormones that are circulating through our body and they change the way our body and our hormones function so the more calm we can be the better we can be at burning fat because we don't burn fat to run away from the saber-toothed tiger we we burn glucose to run around from the saber-toothed tiger and that then leads into all of those cascade of inflammation and autoimmune dysfunction in our body and weight gain insidious weight gain and tiredness Hey, I want to tell you about Schwank Grills. This is a revolutionary portable gas infrared grill that uses the exact same heating technology as the world's best steakhouses. You heat up to 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit to grill the juiciest steak you've ever tasted in as little as three minutes. Can you believe it? That's right. You do not have to go to those crowded, noisy, super overpriced steakhouses anymore when you have the same technology in your backyard. And the Schwank Portable Infrared Grill is not just for steak. You can make chicken wings wings, hamburgers, seafood, lobster, vegetables. I make salmon in three minutes. They even have a pizza stone accessory. I want you to visit their very informative and mouth-watering website at schwankgrills.com. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-K. Everything you cook, faster, juicier. The speed is so important, so convenient. Uh, There's a drip tray on the bottom, so you let the juices drip down. I love the bison burger, the venison burgers. That's my game. And then you can add a mixture of butter, spices, whatever you want, into the tray. Pour it back onto your meat or your salmon for a huge improvement in flavor. Are you getting hungry? I am. (laughs) Let's go to schwankgrills.com, S-C-H-W-A-N-K, grills.com, and up your home cooking game. This is a -a one-of-a-kind grill. I have a great discount code for you. Of course, it's BRAD150 to save $150 off your purchase of a Schwank grill. So if we are inhibiting fat burning from those several... uh, ways that you mentioned, this is what's going to happen. We're going to have an increased appetite for quick energy calories, maybe purchase some of these sports nutrition products and support the billion trillion dollar industry predicated on people needing sugar. And I think you mentioned Dr. Ponza really briefly, and that that um, quip was, uh, you know, talking about his firm assertion that um, it's the number of calories that we eat and the number of cows we burn, and that's whether we gain or lose fat. But I think we can reconcile some of these, maybe you call it a disparate point of view, where you are doing things that trigger increased appetite. So you're consuming more calories uh, because you're not good at burning fat. And if you're not good at burning fat, you're going to walk around and you're going to run out of energy. And so in your stressful, hectic, busy day of too much exercise, not enough sleep, you're going to be putting in more calories than you might need if you were on a yoga retreat and breathing through your nose all day. Mm, Exactly. Yeah. And I also think that there's maybe some other dimensions here. It's kind of as an aside where, um, you know, the, the inflammation and the other things that you mentioned, uh, could affect our, you know, how much fat we're burning versus, you know, what we're, what we're doing with it. We're storing it because of the hormone imbalances. So, you know, transcending that direct model of counting your calories and that being the end all, uh, we kind of have to hit this from a multi-pronged approach. And I think that's where this 
this thread is going is you're talking about the prongs of an athlete where most of the time they're looking at a single dimension of training, like what's my mileage or whatever their narrow focus is. And we got to, we got to unwind that a little bit and look at what's causing those dietary habits of those 11 PM cereal bowl binges. And it it dates back to your 5 AM swim workout. Yeah. I'd be encouraging athletes to like I've done 16 half nowhere near like what you've done because you're you know you're an amazing athlete or you you are and you were on the world stage but I've done 16 half Ironmans and probably 20 marathons right and and I just encourage people to like when I run I don't even have kilometers or pace on my watch it's just about time. I'm going for an hour and a half run or a two hour run. It's never about how far. It's just about running. And sometimes I've set workouts and, and they're based on time and different things. But, you know, I'd encourage athletes to forget about how many kilometres and what pace they've run and focus more on how do they feel after their training? How are they sleeping? What's their resting heart rate? Because those things, if your resting heart rate is lower and consistent and within your baseline for the week, you will be able to train better. But I don't think a lot of people pay a lot of attention to that. Um, the same as, you know, with swimming. Not that we've been able to swim because, you know, I live in the most lockdown city in the world and we had two people die yesterday. <laughs> Despite the most lockdown home, city in the world. This is Melbourne. And only Melbourne, and only yeah. two people died. So six and a half million people in Melbourne are locked down because two people died. Like anyway, I know that's a tangent. So you know, with swimming, instead of always thinking, "Oh, am I doing one one twenty pace or one thirty pace for a hundred or whatever?" Maybe thinking about the quality of our swimming and how we feel. And are we relaxed when we get out instead of saying, oh, that was a great set. I was really smashed because I was in the fast lane. Well, what about the quality? And then how do you feel later in the day? Are you starving after you swim or can you go for four hours without eating? They're things that we should be thinking about. Right. It sounds like, and I I feel like this is a, a revolution that's afoot in the fitness industry overall is this quest to get in shape, pursue peak performance goals in a manner that doesn't break you. And therefore, you know, leaving a lot in the tank at workouts rather than using them as a torture fest. And I think that's what the math training is all about. So maybe we can, um, now progress. We know that we got to take care of the body composition issue by modifying the diet, sleeping more, uh, reducing workout stress. And the centerpiece there would be this math training. So maybe we can step into that as the next, the next doorway. Yeah. Well, once again, this is another one of those things that people don't want to hear. You know, you say to people, um, well, I want you to run at this heart rate where it's comfortable. And they're like, oh, okay, well, I normally run at 170 beats and you're telling me I should be running at 135. That'd be walking. And I'm like, yep. Yep. (laughs) And and then you show them results of people you've been working with for a month, you know, a year or so, because I keep a Google sheet with all their math tests because they do a math test every month. And you say, well, this person started 12 months ago and they're running, you know, 6.30 or 7-minute pace math test and now they're running you know 5 30 in 12 months so people people find it very hard to understand 
Um, but I make them watch all the videos from Phil Maffetone that he's made a series of videos. They read his book. I get them to read the big yellow book by Mark Allen, or that Mark Allen wrote the forward for, you know, the big math, um, big math. What's big it called? Book the of high, training and racing. Big, big book of training and racing. It's massive. And, and people, once they do it and sit with it for a couple of months, they actually see the difference. And then I start bringing in the nasal breath work at the same time, which once again, that's another, it's not math training, but it's another similar thing. What do you mean I have to breathe through my nose? And at the start, they're like, oh, this is horrible. But in very, very short time, they find it's much easier and, and they can achieve a better pace even while they're breathing through their nose. Yeah, we haven't wanted to hear this for decades when heart rate training first became available in the 80s. And I uh, arrived there, uh, you know, a third of the way through my career when I realized that I had no more physical energy to contribute to my training. I was, you know, at my peak in my age and in, in my athletic prime and, and pushing myself to the end of the earth and willing to do anything in order to go faster. And when you finish a race and there's still guys up in front of the road, up in front of you on the road, then you have to go back and and really reckon. And that's when I, you know, kind of had this realization helped by Maffetone, Mark Allen, Mike Pig, Andrew McNaughton, the, the leaders in the sport at that time, that if I slowed down and took better care of my body, it was a portal to going faster, which didn't exist in my current framework because there was no way I could train any harder. And I was still going pretty fast, but I was frustrated because there was guys ahead of me on the race course. And I think until we can kind of embrace or, or even have the trust to listen to someone who's been through it and, and slow down in pursuit of improvement, uh, that's going to be the major sticking point. Uh, but I think mm -hmm. it's really important to reflect how uh, intensity is relative to the fitness level of the individual. So if you happen to uh, go to Eldoret, Kenya and watch Kipchoge in his daily training, the greatest marathon runner, one of the greatest endurance athletes of all time, his easy run is a six minute pace at high altitude for 18 miles. That's his easy day. His training log is available on the internet. You can scrutinize it. The exercise physiologists have had a field day nitpicking every single workout that he does. Um, but for any mortal human, you'd think, wow, that's crazy. That guy's amazing. He even is flying through uh, high altitude mountain runs on his easy day. But if you compare his heart rate and his relative pace per his marathon pace, where he can run a 433 for a marathon. So a six minute pace is one and a half minutes slower per mile. Sorry, kilometer listeners. I'm, I'm going with the pace per mile here. You know, it's way slower than his marathon pace. Uh, and so now we're going to get out our notepads and our calculators and think, what would it be like for me to, you know, to, to go that slow? And it's most, most likely a jog walk for even very fit people that might have some medals in there on their wall for age group placings. But that's the portal to continued improvement and protection against breakdown, burnout, illness, injury, not being able to have babies or have fun off the race course. Yeah, he, he essentially does math training. I mean, he did a great, there was a great interview that Phil Maffetone did talking just like you did. He went into a lot more detail about Chip, Chip his, his running and talked about how, how his runs are that long and they're just a comfortable pace. And that's one of his secrets. And, you know, um, you know if, he, if that's what he's doing, 
it's obviously giving him some benefits along with his amazing genetics and his non, non-Western diet and, you know, not sitting on the couch all day doing nothing. But that's what people need to think about is this, this we were made to run long and comfortably and sprint once in a while. You know, like I did, I did my fastest marathon ever in January this year, 326, and my average heart rate was 125. I did that fasted. I didn't eat for four hours after. I had one, I had one gel during the run, which is like a fruit gel. Um, But I did it fast and, and I was not sore the next day. It was like I'd never even sort of run a marathon. And that was, that was all because of math training. You know, Why did you fast for four hours after? I just wasn't hungry. <laughs> I didn't deliberately. Like I went into it fasted, so I didn't. I had dinner the night before, and that morning I didn't have anything. I just had a mouthful of water. Um, but I just wasn't hungry. And that that's often a lot of my athletes say, well, I'm never hungry after training. I'm like, that's good. That's good. But then, you know, when you're hungry, have a proper nutrient-dense meal you know, not a protein shake, have avocado, have eggs, have meat, have some, you know, really good vegetables because, you know, you you should eat when you're hungry, not just eat because you need, you feel like you need to eat because the clock says it's lunchtime. So it wasn't, it's not deliberate, but you'd find the same thing. You'd often not be hungry after training. Uh Depends on the context, but mm. I think that's another uh, nice checkpoint to indicate that your training is under control and stress rest balance. And boy, uh, comparing the difference to coming in uh, famished after a workout and generally overeating, which is a very common pattern, especially uh, if you're looking at like the, uh, the CrossFit community with the 6am slamming workout or the uh, endurance people and the ultra endurance people, uh, they kind of take the workout as a license to go and uh, jam a bunch of food down their throat of indiscriminate food quality as well, by the way. So, um, you know, another thing to unwind and um, right there alongside monitoring your heart rate and keeping it under the the maximum aerobic limit might be, hey, monitor your appetite and see if it's being uh, disturbed uh, by your training uh, patterns. And that could be a, a red flag. Yeah, well, well you know, Tim, I think there's another saying you could bring up, like Tim Noakes has a great saying, if you need to, uh, if you, uh, if you need to exercise to maintain your body composition or to improve your body composition, mm-hmm. then your approach to nutrition is wrong. Well, maybe, uh, you know, an appro- another quote we could come up with is, if you're starving after your workout, your approach to exercise is wrong, you know, because uh, you shouldn't be. Yeah, I think once in a while, if you want to push your body to the limit, such as a race or such as an extremely mm. challenging workout. Um, mm. Those could be personal growth experiences and, and stimulate a fitness breakthrough, but never yeah. to the point of collapsing and, and puking on the side of the track like we see in the movies, but just something that is really above and beyond your normal pattern. And if you get home and you want to uh, you know, immediately refuel, I think that could be uh, a worthwhile recovery strategy. Same with high intensity, a high glycolytic workout is probably going to have a different protocol than a pure endurance session. But if we want to just uh, discuss you know, your marathon and your fasting four hours after the marathon, um, that was a pure endurance fat burning session. And that's kind of where the 
you know, the baseline should be for most endurance athletes. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to, do you want to spend some time talking a bit more about breath work? Cause um, I know you've been doing a fair bit of that yourself. Right. So we have this concept of slowing down and monitoring our aerobic heart rate. And interestingly, and I've, I've known this for over 20 years now that um, I read Body, Mind, and Sport in 1998 by John Dooliard, and he was talking about how if you uh, breathe through your nose only while you're doing an endurance workout, uh, it will strongly correlate with an appropriate uh, fat-burning emphasis aerobic session. So I tried it way back then. Uh, the the the, um, the the emissions from the nose were very annoying, and it was just kind of a, a struggle to keep to it. Then I'd forget about it for a while, and then I'd try it again. Uh, but beyond just the limiting the air to limit your pace. Now we have this great awakening. The, the two best-selling books are uh, killing it in the marketplace, uh, Breathe by James Nestor and uh, The Oxygen Advantage by Patrick McCune. We know that Wim Hof is uh, gaining all kinds of attention for his athletic feats, as well as his uh, promoting the breathing method. So yeah, let's go there. And, and of course, it's strongly connected to um, emphasizing aerobic training, but let's take it all the way into everyday life as well and monitoring that sympathetic to parasympathetic balance. Yeah. Well, so my experience with breathwork started in, you know, where I wanted to really advance my athletic performance. And initially I started looking at Wim Hof. I started to do his online course, but what I found was that, you know, his approach was, and tell me if you think I'm wrong, but his approach I found was more about stress management and how to influence his immune system and improving his mental health because of some of the things that happened in his life. But, you know, I, I wanted to breathe less and improve my capacity to run um, and race at a lower heart rate with a faster pace. So I then, and because Wim Hof's breath work is a lot more through the mouth and using all these other techniques, um, I wanted to look for something different. So then I started to follow Patrick McEwen. So I read the breath book by James Nestor and I started following Patrick McEwen. And he he was trained in this method called the Buteco method, which consists of a series of breathing exercises and guidelines specifically designed to reduce over-breathing, uh, which is what he calls chronic hyperventilation because the fact is most people breathe way too much and this alters the natural levels of gases in the blood. It reduces oxygen delivery um, to our tissues, organs, and in some time, sometimes it can cause constriction of blood vessels um, and airways. And this can have lots of health problems. You know, mouth when we when we you know breathing breathing volume becomes normal and we can switch from mouth breathing to nasal breathing which helps alleviate all these health problems and there's a lot of science and evidence around that um he he this patrick McEwen started to look at this guy called dr buteyko which um i think he was russian and he was looking at sick people and found that all these sick people, you know, breathed really hard. And he sort of thought about, well, is the sickness causing the hard breathing or is this hard breathing through the mouth causing the sickness? Um, the other thing is, you know, 
So Patrick McEwen sort of followed this and researched all of this and really had a big interest in it because he himself had a breathing problem where he was always breathing through the mouth. And one interesting thing is we're told, we're told, we tell people when they're, you know, not feeling well or they're uh, overstressed to take a big breath <coughs> through the mouth. And the belief is that this will increase oxygen delivery into their tissues. Well, it actually is totally the opposite. Um, and this is all around this thing called the Bohr effect, um, which I'm sure you you know you could talk about a lot as well. But this method called the Buteyko breathing technique talks about soft breathing, light breathing, and breathing through the diaphragm where we use the nose to breathe. And and that using these techniques, we increase oxygen delivery to the cells. And this is where we're really going to transform our health. Um, so there's a whole reasons why it's important. I can go through those and then maybe we can talk a bit more about what we actually do. But, yeah, as you say, James Nestor and Patrick McEwen, in my opinion, are probably two of the biggest and most successful and educated people that talk about this. But a couple of the benefits and why it's important to breathe through the nose is that um, there's more resistance when we breathe through the nose um, and there's more oxygen uptake. When we breathe through our nose, it warms the air and removes the germs because we have hairs in our nose. During exercise, um, you know, you can breathe through your nose and, and, and work at an aerobic level to increase the oxygen that comes into our muscles, improves blood flow, blood flow and that increases our ability of our mitochondria to function. And and, and I guess the last two are that the nose acts as a reservoir for nitric oxide. Now, there's an important bit to come about where nitric oxide is as well. And, and therefore, you know, with breathing slowly through the nose, takes the nitric oxide down into the diaphragm yeah, and the deep part of the lungs, and that improves oxygenation of the body. It also improves vasoregulation, which is the opening and closing of blood vessels, which gets oxygen into our body better. And the important thing for men is it helps with erections because in Viagra, nitric oxide is in Viagra. So it's a very important part for all of us to uh, think about. Um, so they're just some of the things that I didn't know about that I now know about, and I even take a nitric oxide supplement as well in liquid form before I exercise to help. So really what we're doing by breathing through our nose in everyday life and when we're exercising, whether it's in the gym or on the bike or running, is we're building our tolerance to handle carbon dioxide buildup and we're able to work at lower oxygen saturations. So it's... It's giving us this like EPO effect, um, like high altitude training, but it's legal. 
Hey folks, how about a non-drinker telling you what kind of alcohol you should drink? That's right, it's pseudo-sommelier Brad Kearns here to recommend dry farm wines. Why? Because if you choose to drink, I want you to be healthy and make a superior choice to the mainstream commercial wines. Listen to my podcast with Dry Farm Wines founder Todd White. The insights were astonishing, especially that most all commercial wines are loaded with dozens of chemicals that the FDA allows in your wine but don't have to be listed on the label. And the sugar, oh my goodness, the sugar levels can be as much or more per liter than Coca-Cola but difficult to taste due to the acidity in the wine. Dry Farm Wines is a membership club where you're shipped hand-picked wines from old-world family-run vineyards in France, Italy, Greece, and Sicily. These wines come from non-irrigated vineyards hundreds of years old that deliver a tastier, higher antioxidant grape, and they're independent lab certified to be completely free from chemical additives and naturally 100% sugar-free. That's right, the sugar was allowed to ferment out instead of be arrested by chemical intervention in the name of pleasing the average consumer palate that has a sweet tooth. The Dry Farm Wines Club has taken off like crazy because ancestral and keto enthusiasts, people who care about their health, appreciate a sugar-free wine. You'll enjoy the variety, the taste, and the pleasant sensation in the aftermath of burning through the alcohol buzz and going on with your life without a hangover. So if you care about your carb intake and your overall health, Dry Farm Wines has a special promotion for podcast listeners. Get your first bottle for a penny when you enroll at dryfarmwines.com slash brad or click on the Dry Farm Wines at the bradkerns.com shopping page. Cheers. Very well explained there, mate. We're, we're, we're talking to Andre, the breathing expert here. Fantastic stuff. And I think for listeners, if you're just tuning in or you haven't been exposed to some of these concepts, there's a lot of content out there. Um, I, I do like that uh, start to finish overview. And some of these insights are so astounding for the non-scientific uh, you know, entry point here. Uh, but this Bohr effect, B-O-H-R, you can go look it up. We'll have links in the show notes. Um, that one kind of uh, you know, was a real eye-opener for me because this is basic biochemistry. This is not Andre's training theory from Australia, but this is a known fact of science that the more carbon dioxide buildup you can tolerate, the more oxygen will be dumped into the working muscles and tissues throughout the body. And so when you improve your carbon dioxide tolerance, this means uh, breathing less frequently than being an oxygen machine, taking these big high stress breaths. We now recognize that uh, when you said overbreathe at the very start, it's really, um, it's hard to grasp, but this is how we're going through life. But indeed, this is the baseline pattern of the modern human with that mouth wide open, uh, taking crappy breaths, right? Because we're using uh, the shallow the, the shallow breathing method through the mouth. We're only using the top part of the lungs. But if we can kind of focus on that insight, that if you learn to, if you train your body to breathe in less, you will dump more oxygen to your working muscles and tissues and thereby getting the performance effect. So I think um, that was the only thing I wanted to um, uh, highlight as you continue the um, continue down the road of how an athlete can use it and also how we can use it in everyday life. 
Yeah, well, I, that's a great way to explain it, Brad. Um, you know, I think you've put it really well, and and it's free, and it's not it's not illegal, and that's why the the lady that you know won her heat and came third in the Olympics, she was using an EPO advantage, but it was totally legal just because she trains by you know breathing through her nose. Um, so so we talked a bit about you know the benefits, you know what it can give us. Um, you know, but in everyday life, the other thing is it can really improve our sleep, um, our energy levels. You know, anyone that breathes through their mouth when they're asleep generally wakes up with a dry mouth in the morning. They're more tired. There, there is science that shows that that can lead to diabetes and, and weight gain as well. So, you know, even if you're not an athlete but you wake up with a dry mouth, you should get some tape surgical tape and try and keep your mouth closed i had a client within three days of doing it he stopped snoring and it totally changed his energy levels a guy uh jonathan from perth who was a music uh conductor for an orchestra and you know so you don't have to be an, a bit an athlete to benefit from nasal breathing it can really change your life but I would encourage people to really include nasal breathwork into all of their exercise routine. And that can be as simple as, you know, when you're doing your warm-up, try and breathe through your nose as much as possible. Then maybe you do your run and you can't breathe through your nose. So some people can breathe through their nose while they're at math heart rate, some can't. It's very individual, but you know, maybe in your warm-up and you cool down, you breathe through your nose and on your main run you don't. Then as you progress, maybe in your main run, if it's an hour or half an hour, you do little segments of nasal breath work. So maybe every once in a while you breathe through your nose with your mouth closed for, you know, five minutes or, you know, four or five breaths and then you breathe back through your mouth. And what eventually you will build over a period of time is the ability to, like you and I do, Brad, when we're doing our running drills or our strides, the ability to even hold our breath while we're running at three minute, 30 kilometre pace for, you know, 30 seconds. And even at the end of that, keeping the mouth shut and just breathing through the nose, which is really hard because you're like... <laughs> But that really ha builds a big tolerance to handle that debt of oxygen and, you know, you'll snot up everywhere, but there's a whole range of things we can do, you know, whether we're on the bike, on Zwift or riding outside. I guess I ran this morning with a friend who I was coaching who's now a friend and and he was trying to do nasal breathing the whole time, but I was talking the whole time, so I think he got a bit pissed off. <laughs> and, but we were both snotting, and at the end we had a hill to run up, and we both said, right, let's just run up the hill without talking, and we were both breathing through the nose. And when we got to the top, we both did a breath hold, you mm. know, until we had that desire to breathe, and then we just breathed through the nose. So there's a whole range of different things. And in the Oxygen Advantage, Patrick McEwen outlines um, a whole step-by-step -step process to build from the basic person to an athlete, and it's all based on your bolt score. So depending on how what your bolt score is determines where you should start on this progression of nasal breath work. So describe the bolt test and how someone can use that 
very first thing we should do if we're interested is take your first bolt test because it's going to be so terrible. And then you can aspire to improve and you will improve very quickly. Trust, trust me, folks. It's no fun to start out and realize that uh, your, your your breath hold time is pathetic, but it is an indication that we've spent a lifetime breathing shallowly and inefficiently through the mouth. Yeah, well, um, and there are videos explaining this, but essentially what you do is you'd sit down and you would take a couple of breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth, in through the nose, out through the mouth. And, and once you've expelled all the air, you would have a timer and you would hold your nose and you basically just hold you're not holding your breath because the breath's gone so you expel all the air it's a held exhalation people i suppose you would call it correct held exhalation so you then hold your nose so that you're not no air can sneak back in (laughs) and when you get the first sign of an urge to breathe and you sort of got to work out what that is for you you know, whether you find some contraction in your throat or your chest or you're like some like tension in your neck or your lungs, then you stop the timer and you start breathing. And, you know, as Brad said, I think my first one was 15 seconds. I think how long can I do, Brad? Is it 90 seconds? Was that uh, the- Your bolt score, and we have it video proof, people, that this guy went up to the superior level of 40 seconds and if you can get up to 40, uh, the minimum uh, threshold Nestor and others contend for declaring yourself a healthy breather would be 20 seconds. And don't be surprised if you can't make it to 20 seconds, people, on your first attempt. But working from 20 to 40 uh, is really outstanding, and it does take a lot of practice. Um, and I like I like to emphasize that idea that this is not... Um, you know, the macho contest to, to kill yourself and pass out. But it's when you have that slight sensation of discomfort where you wouldn't really wouldn't mind taking a breath right now. And so it's yeah. not something you want to game by pushing yourself harder today than you did yesterday, but it's just looking at that timer and going, okay, it's time to breathe and then noting your progress. So and, uh, and when you do it, when you do it, you should, if, if, people, if this is on video, you should be able to finish it like, like this, you should be, Oh, I've done the test. You yeah, that's <laughs> my that's my checkpoint. Is I need to get back into regular, calm, relaxed breathing after one or two uh, nasal breaths that are bigger than normal. So it's yeah. uh, not as gentle as you showed on the video, where I didn't. Only reason I knew you stopped is you took your fingers off your nose. But um, I want to have kind of this uh, this baseline where I, re- I repeat the test carefully each time and not try to, uh, you know, jump to a new PR like most athlete mindsets are looking for, you know, just an immediate breakthrough. Uh, but when you can yeah. monitor your bolt score and even practice the test frequently because it is a challenge, uh, then you're, you're building up your ability. Um, one thing before we continue forward is you, you mentioned that um, quick uh, example about sleeping. And sleeping is when we really need to bring parasympathetic function into central focus and get a maximum and most efficient possible exchange of oxygen throughout the night. We know how dangerous sleep apnea is where you stop breathing during the night and it can lead to all kinds of health problems. Uh, and so the, the problem when you have symptoms of mouth breathing is that this indicates that you're stimulating sympathetic function 
uh, inefficient exchange of oxygen with narrow panting breaths through the top of the lungs rather than using the diaphragm as it's intended. And so I think it's probably qualified as an advanced strategy to tape your mouth shut, but it has become a legit thing that's highly recommended and something to think about if you're having trouble breathing at night is to notice uh, your habit and, and try to correct it while you're asleep. But I think uh, heading in that direction, one thing you can also do is get the nasal strips and apply those at night to open up the nostrils a little wider and make it easier for you to breathe and maintain that nasal breathing throughout the night because you toss and turn and maybe one nostril gets blocked or something. But it is uh, another goal to write down is nasal breathing throughout the night, especially. Hey, man, how's your sexual function? Oh, uncomfortable talking about it? Look, we talk about our injured knees, our belly fat, so it's time to get focused on function. I want to tell you about Gainswave. This is a cutting-edge protocol where a handheld device sends low-intensity shock waves into your penile blood vessels to stimulate a healing response and promote increased blood circulation and the growth of new blood vessels. A skilled practitioner puts the Gainswave magic wand onto your magic wand, and after a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results. Gainswave reports an 80% success rate. Now, we know that popping pills is a popular penile protocol, but when you're working with clogged pipes, you just get a temporary Band-Aid effect when you take prescription drugs. Gainswave addresses the cause of age-related decline by stimulating growth factors and activating dormant stem cells. Translation, stronger, harder, more sustainable erections. I learned about Gainswave from my podcast guest, Dr. Judson Brandeis at the Brandeis MD Clinic in Northern California, and there's a robust network of Gainswave providers that you can find on their website near you. Complete a series of treatments, and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment, and while it's great for ED, Gainswave is for any man that wants to combat the effects of aging and get a little boost for your A-game. So please visit Gainswave.com slash Brad. That's G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E dot com slash B-R-A-D to find a practitioner in your area, and you can take advantage of my special promotion, buy six treatments, and get one free. You have nothing to lose and lots to gain from gainswave.com slash Brad. Yeah, absolutely. That That's sort of like the base layer. That's like the body body composition base layer, I think. Um, the, the other, I think, Brad, um, the important thing with the BOLT score to remind people is that I, I do two or three tests because if we were doing it now, my first one might be 35 seconds. My second one might be 40 and my third one will probably be 45. So you sort of, you will get better as you do them in one hit. And I'm getting my athletes to start doing like they do a math test. I'm getting them to do a bolt score test as well. And, and I include breath work running in all my athletes training as well. But Brad, you, you explained to me about, I think, is it Andrew McNaughton's CO2 tolerance test? Is that who 
does that or is that uh, Brian else? McKenzie Brian promotes McKenzie, this test. Yeah. I mean, these are tests yeah. that have been, you know, in science and exercise physiology for a long time. Now they're coming to the forefront. Um, Brian's a real leader in this field at shiftadapt.com. He's been on the show and I like his gear system. So when you go through his training, they actually describe five gears of breathing. Uh, the lowest being calm, gentle nasal breathing, which should be our, our baseline. And then all the way up to full on sucking air through the mouth breathing, which would be the final lap of the 1500 meters in the Olympics, right? When you, you need maximum oxygen because your, your muscles are working so hard. Uh, and then you try to return down to a, a you know, you try to downshift to a lower gear as quickly as possible. So just as you mentioned, you know, when I do my sprints, um, I'm, my mouth is closed throughout all sprints and drills and things that are difficult and challenging. And then when I finish, uh, I will occasionally be in a state where I'm gasping for air with a wide open mouth. But after three of those, I'm going back to a really strong nasal breath, maybe a mouth exhalation. After two of those, my mouth is closed again. I'm doing some really strong, you demonstrated well for the viewers on YouTube, really strong nasal breaths. And it, it does become a little frustrating at times. You wonder why you're doing it. It would be so much easier to just suck air like you've done your whole life. Uh, but when you get this realization that you're serving up nitric oxide to all the cells in your body, and you're also uh, filtering, warming, uh, and moisturizing the air so that it can be better used by the lungs, um, you start to become a believer really quickly that this crazy stuff that uh, my wife gets scared when I do this loud breathing because maybe um, you know I'm behind her and she can't hear me and all of a sudden I'm wheezing like an animal. Uh, but you, you got to buy into this stuff. And if you're kind of on the fence, which I was for a long time, I'm like, what does breathing have to do with anything? I have plenty of air, whether I'm sprinting or, or running for a long distance of time. But when we're talking about altering your physiology especially um, toning down that fight or flight response. Wow. It's a pretty exciting breakthrough in athletic training. Yeah. I, I loved your podcast with Brian. In fact, I've listened to it a few times and I love his analogy of the gears. And I'm thinking of using that with some of my athletes as well. And so it's very easy to understand. And, and that approach and how you explained it is if people just took that on board and said, I'm doing a gear one run today or I'm doing a gear <laughs> yeah. two bike ride today, you know, that that I think this is probably one of the most uh, well-kept secrets that isn't out there yet for athletic performance. So, you know, back in the day, Mark Allen, that he wasn't telling people he was doing math training, Right. He wouldn't tell people. There were people starting on low carb that probably weren't telling people. Mm. I, I truly believe this nasal breath work is that next thing that if athletes get over themselves, get over yourself, right, your old podcast name, if they get over themselves and have the courage to take this on board, it's that next layer of um, performance enhancement that people could really benefit from but it takes courage <laughs> to step outside the norm. Right. Uh, I want to share you my favorite one-liner takeaway uh, from the books and, and the breast studies um, that, uh, that Patrick McCune offered up. And so if you're, it maybe got lost during our discussion with some of the science, whatever, or wondering what the general application is, he declares that your goal should be to breathe through your nose as minimally as possible at all times 
all day for the rest of your life. And that includes workouts. So when I'm doing my sprints, I'm I'm starting through my nose and then I have to suck air through my mouth and that's okay. But I try to immediately get back down to this minimal breathing. And when you take in less oxygen, you are giving, I know I'm repeating myself, but you're giving your, your organs and tissues more oxygen. So if you can just keep that in your mind for the rest of your life, now that you're listening to the show, people, there's no turning back is you know the, these notions of taking a deep breath to relax are doing the exact opposite. They're stimulating sympathetic fight or flight when you, when you take a big giant breath. Um, so breathing minimally through my nose only, I'm carrying that with me everywhere I go all day long, sleeping awake during exercise great stuff yeah and and i think we're the only stupid animal in the world that breathes that's right yeah a dog dog, dog does but that's just to cool itself down you know and just a reminder to people our body wasn't made to breathe through our mouth just like our body wasn't made to be a vegetarian you know we're we've got teeth you know, we, we sorry, I'm on a tangent there, but we, we were meant to breathe through our nose. And if we're not, our body thinks we're under stress. Because if you look at a clock of a 24-hour circle, we've only had this lifestyle and these habits for like two minutes of our evolution and our body hasn't adapted enough to breathe through our mouth. And it brings that cortisol response, that stress. Our body doesn't know that we're not in danger when we're panting through our mouth, it thinks we're in danger. So we're just on a highway to inflammation, um, bad mouth formation, Mm. you know, dental problems. That's why all these young kids have orthodontics in their mouths because eating soft food and not having enough calcium, not having enough bone structure, the sinuses don't fill out enough from breathing through the mouth. It's a terrible health problem that the native people didn't have so you know people get over yourself and really listen to what brad's saying and what i'm saying and if you want that secret performance edge you really need to get across this nasal breath work and and do it when you're walking do it when you're making love do it when you're running do it when you're sprinting do it when you're on the bike do it all day and your life could change. And I, I would say at the same time, be monitoring how your low, your resting heart rate gets lower the more you do mm. it because your body will become more efficient uh, in everything we do. Well said. Thank you. Uh, we're, we're proceeding nicely through this uh, procession of important objectives to to tackle if we want to be a healthy, fit athlete. And I think the the last one you mentioned um, was the strength training component, the explosive activity, uh, to pair up with that nice emphasis on, uh, maximum aerobic function exercise and and general everyday movement. And I know you work in the, in the realm of endurance athletes mostly, and you have your own personal goals, which are extreme endurance in nature. You can call a half Ironman triathlon. That's an extreme endurance event. Anything over 15 minutes would would qualify as an endurance event rather than anything else, even though people use the terms uh, poorly when the triathletes say they're doing speed work today. Um, it's not, you know, speed work is Shelly Ann Fraser Price. So everything else, what you're doing is, is endurance oriented. But where does that uh, strength element, explosive element fit in to the big picture uh, for both uh, an endurance athlete and then someone who's just looking for total and balanced fitness? 
Well, for, for someone that doesn't have a background in weight training, I would always caution them to have a proper assessment done by as a physiotherapist or a, or a proper qualified trainer to work out can their body tolerate um, plyometrics or power-based lifting or heavy compound movement lifting or are they better off using machines or doing body weight work because everyone has a different experience that leads into what they can do in the gym. But for someone that is competent um, and has a good endurance base and has confidence in using the gym, I, I, you know, it, it, especially if they're a runner and a cyclist, I, I believe they should be doing some power-based work, doing some plyometric work, you know, jumps, box jumps, heavy weights, low reps, um, as part of their gym work. You know, I do two workouts a week and at the moment it's all heavy weights, low reps. I use the MSP, Maximum Sustained Power Approach, with some of my work, but I do it all breathing through the nose. So, mm -hmm. you know, yesterday I was doing my, I have a bit of a routine where after I've warmed up I do hex bar deadlifts and chin-ups or pull-ups, overgrass pull-ups. So I do four sets 10 pull-ups, eight hex bars, then I sit and I, I take one big breath through the nose and then I try and hold my breath and I sit for, you know, a minute between sets, but I try and keep my nose breathing happening the whole time during that whole workout, uh, even though it's quite hard. Um, but, you know, to increase our power when we're running and cycling, we need to put our glutes, our hamstrings, you know, our quads under appropriate stress. And a lot of that comes from working in the gym, doing the right type of exercise. But it all does depend on our, our physical background and our ability to, you know, do those movements correctly. So I think, you know, strength training is quite important. And, and, and regardless of your sport, doing some power-based training, whether that be, you know, plyos or jumps or, or heavy weights is, is quite important. Uh, I've personally found difficulty uh, juggling the disparate goals. Like I mentioned, when I was a full-on triathlete, I was not in the gym. I didn't have enough energy. And even today, you know, I have the ambition to achieve total fitness. My main goal being informed by longevity in the background rather than trying to make the next Olympics, although I'm not ruling out the possibility of the Olympics after that uh, in my hometown of Los Angeles in 2028. I'm, I'm, I'm giving myself a chance. I'm going for the high jump. We'll just see which country wants to take me at a, at a lower height. Than, you should go in the you know. Masters games. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. I'm going to get throw down at the Masters games. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a battle because, you know, everything's great and has wonderful health and fitness benefits. But then when you stack it up, you're like, oh, heck, you know, I'm dealing with post-exercise muscle soreness from my deadlift session. This is going to affect my sprint workout two days later or my energy level for the, the long ride on the weekend if one happens to be an endurance athlete. So how do you manage that, that juggling act? Um, in terms of time, I think it's a matter of, you know, yeah, I think in a matter of, like I calendar everything, um, so I schedule my training in my calendar because I work for myself, I work around that. You know, this all comes back to, I think, getting enough sleep, getting off Netflix, mm. building a schedule of what you want to do and then maybe 
prioritising what are the things you're prepared to drop off around your physical pursuits and what are your priorities for the month. So, you know, maybe for this month my priority because of the weather is the gym and and because there's no pools riding. So I might have swimming in there to swim at the beach, but that might drop off. But I'll always put an emphasis on the gym and riding. Um, so I think, you know, planning, scheduling and looking at what your priorities are, not, not just doing the things you like because often people mm. do the things they like instead of like we talked about before, people don't want to be told what to do. They, want, they don't want to get told what's good for them. They just want to do what they want to do. You know, if we're not good at something, that's the thing we probably need to focus on as an athlete because that's going to drag us down. So as an example, you know, my running is my number one, my my bike is number two and my swimming is number three. The pools are closed, so I should be swimming in the ocean, but it's bloody freezing. And when you've got 7% body fat and 62 kilos, you're always freezing. So I've been a wimp, I've been soft, and I haven't swum. I know that, Right. But, you know, no races are happening here either. Mm. <laughs> so I'm focusing on my riding. So last week I did 300 kilometres, but it was all in math. And my power on my bike and my ability to ride at a faster pace, the lower heart rate's coming up. So it's about what do you need to improve on, what's your schedule, planning, and, and having a bit of a, you know, focus on that, I think. Andreo Bradovic wrapping up the whole thing. We started out looking at our lousy diet and our energy gel habits. Got to clean that stuff up, get the body composition right, go into the math heart rate training. We had a great discussion about breathing. Uh, we, we talked about sleep and then sprinkling in some high-intensity training that's well-informed and, and well-balanced and well-scheduled. So thanks for uh, walking us through. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a client consult to the masses. And I appreciate the great work you're doing. Love to have you on the show again. We always come up with topics to talk about when we're we're chatting offline. So we'll we'll stack those up. Listeners can participate too. That's Andrea Bradovic, everybody. Thanks, Brad. I want to tell you about Inside Tracker, an awesome new ultra personalized nutrition and lifestyle program that combines data from your comprehensive blood panels, genetic test results, and lifestyle and fitness data from a Fitbit, for example, and organizes everything into one super cool online portal of your personal health. I am just getting going with this, and it's awesome. It has everything in one spot. For every blood result, you can click on a blog post or watch a video to learn more about these values. It's a great education in general health and self-quantification, and it was developed by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometric data from MIT, Tufts, and Harvard. The patented Inside Tracker algorithm calculates your so-called inner age, and it shows each biomarker as either optimized, needs to improve, or at risk. And then you can take precise corrective action with a science-backed plan to reach your performance goals. Oh, mercy, people. On my first round of testing, guess what my inner age was? 62! Shocker! Because I just turned 56. I'm sorry. You know what? When I delivered that blood test, I believe I was a little overtired, and several of my biomarkers were deemed to be subpar. So I made some changes as directed. I recovered better, rested, went back, and delivered way better numbers at the next blood test. The Insight Tracker motto is... 
change is an inside job, and that is for real. You've got to keep tabs on this stuff to be at your best. And they have an amazing deal just for BRAD podcast listeners. They are going to give away a grand prize of $1,500 in Inside Tracker value. So to enter, all you have to do is go to insidetracker.com slash Brad Pod, B R A D P O D. Check it out right now at the link and enter the contest. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the QA shows. Subscribe to our email list at bradkerns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. You can also download several awesome free ebooks when you subscribe to the email list. And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five-star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows, that would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the BRAD podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message. Thank you so much for spreading the word. And remember, be rad.